Hey fam. <laughs> oh, it's such a privilege. Um, I feel doubly honored to be here because I, I just understand the sanctity of this space as well and, and what it means to share to this room of believers. Um, and it's, it's a real honor and it's a real privilege to, to not only stand before you, but just to be seen by you as well um, for us to share this space together. Um, I, I don't take this lightly because I feel as though no, nothing in my story, well, and it can't be, can be credited to me. It's, it's just the absolute gift of the narrative that God has given me. Um, and that is part of my process of sharing it, part of the process of writing it down, you know, and distributing it is this idea that, um, well, the only thing I really can give him back as my offering is to witness and to just say, well, this is the God I know and this is what he did. Um, like, this is actually what he did. This is the type of life he transformed. And, um, and so as I share, I guess, I just want to invite you guys into that powerful space of testimony where it actually breaks things over us um, and the anointing breaks the yoke um, and this idea that if, as I testify, if there is anything that resonates with you, if there's a struggle that resonates with you, if there's a mindset, a stronghold, anything that you want broken off of your life, I just, um, I just beg you to receive that. Um, and I'm really, really excited to share that, share this as a process of breakthrough and, um, and also to pray at the end as well and for us to go into that time of actually allowing God into these spaces that um, it's not always easy to let light into and it's not always easy to talk about. Um, but it, yeah, I'm really honoured to do it today. <laughs> Yay, okay. Um, and forgive me, I'm going to do this without notes today because um, I really just felt as though the Lord wanted to direct this. Um, can you hear me okay if it's there? Sweet. Um, and I just felt like he really, he knows what narrative this room um, needs or, or yeah, what he wants to do. So I feel like the best place to start is giving you guys some context of where I came from. So I grew up in Brisbane. Um, in a what you might call a nominal Catholic family. So I, you know, I had some exposure to the ritual of the Catholic Church um, and to the sort of familial cultural context of that. I, I had some idea of this person of God. But as I went into my teens and as I sort of moved into, a, a, I guess, a mindset and an, an environment of um, only really valuing empirical evidence, the concept of God very easily faded. Like it really was, it felt childlike. It felt like this was a fairy tale that makes sense when you're a kid and you're looking for someone to blame or someone to talk to. Um, but as I moved into high school particularly, um, any sense of the spiritual really vanished completely. And instead, I found that I got really, really caught up in the obsession and the brokenness of that can happen in adolescence, particularly when somebody struggles with mental health, which I really did. And so I, um, from a very young age, I developed an eating disorder. And I can't really pinpoint why. I can't really pinpoint the initial moment. But it 
was almost like this eroding hole inside of me that was initially just small, this feeling of like, I don't think I'm worth very much. I don't think I should take up very much space because I just don't think I deserve to. And then it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And the further I went down that road of, I might just try and be less. I might just try and be smaller. I might just try and be quieter. I might just try and disappear completely. Turned into this wrestle and this desire to just destroy myself. This idea that, well, eventually I can weigh nothing. Eventually I might not exist at all and the world is going to be so much better for it. And it's, a, it's an incredibly destructive mindset. Um, and it doesn't just destroy you. It destroys the people around you in these outward circles. Because it's so destructive, it's so corrosive, um, that it brings into communities this idea that there's something horribly wrong with us. There's something horribly wrong with our community, with our family, with the way that we operate. Um, and it brings up these questions, particularly for women of... Why are we here? And what is this body worth anything? Is it worth anything? And um, I, I went into hospital and I was treated there for, for quite a while in year 12. And I sort of came out of that experience physically well. I'd almost died, but I came out physically sort of somewhat restored, but mentally not restored at all. And I went into, um, into university and sort of took on a different mindset with the illness still being present, but, you know, with this sort of frustration of I'm st I still exist, you know, this didn't work. I'm still here, despite my efforts, um, to vanish. And instead of attempting to starve myself, I was like, okay, I'm just going to consume every single thing I see, whether that is people and bodies, whether it's drugs, whether it's relationships, whether it's ideologies, and I just was like, okay, you know, if this, if this is what life is, like, hit me with it. Nothing can hurt me. It doesn't really matter what the consequences are. It doesn't really matter who I hurt. Um, I, I, I just need to figure out if anything can stick, if anything can, like, land on me. And so I, um, I, w I started to explore the occult and I got really involved in, um, in New Age spirituality. I... Um, I sort of clung to these different um, ideas of, of spiritual expression. Um, I found that I had no fear when it came to drugs and I just tried all these different things that I guess passed in front of me. But I think the major area of just destructive consumption was in relationships where it, it almost became this, this goal of mine to... Um, to acquire a person, to go, okay, if, if I'm worth anything, I should be able to get them. Um, and once I've got them, I'm over it. So maybe I should be able to get them and them and them. And I was at the same time sort of, wrestling is probably the wrong word, but sort of becoming more aware of a sense of more confused sexuality where I was like, well, I seem to be attracted to men and to women. Um, I, you know, uh, and, and sort of, opened myself and allowed for any any type of person to cross my path and of course when you bring down all boundaries and all walls not because you're incredibly open and incredibly gracious but because you don't believe that you deserve boundaries like that 
some very diverse um, and sometimes destructive people can come into your life. And I found myself just in these cycles of, um, of toxic, abusive, completely broken relationships. I found myself displaying toxic and abusive behaviours and had no point at which to anchor myself or find a moral compass or go, well, what is right and what is wrong? All I knew is that it's either what I want or what I don't want. So if I follow what I want, surely I'm going to get to a point where I'm finally happy. And one day I'll just, I'll be happy. I'll just, I will land and maybe something will be enough. And in this process, I, um, I'd started studying psychology and I moved into, um, to study acting. I was really um, curious about it, but I, I wasn't really sure if it was a road I was suited to. I'd never done drama. I'd never, um, I'd never really expressed myself that way. I was just really drawn to it. And I got into acting school and I went to acting school and in this process of acting school we were taught a process um, called the Eric Morris method and the, the understanding in this method, it comes from the US, is that you use all of your own pain, all of your own memories, everything that you have gone through in order to evoke, hello, um, just to evoke certain emotions in scenes and things like that. So this idea that... Um, if I wanted to cry in a scene, I could imagine, reimagine the last horrible fight I had with a partner or the, per the last person that died in my life and go through that experience again, bring it all up, express the scene, emote wonderfully and get a round of applause. And so the idea was if you resolve your pain, if you get rid of your pain, then you actually, um, your creativity is lessened. And so we subconsciously, received this message that we need to complete, we need to um, re-trigger old wounds and couldn't let anything heal. And also that if our lives stopped being chaotic or complicated or painful or broken, we wouldn't be as good an actor. Um, and so what you saw is a whole, like a cohort of 19-year-olds subconsciously destroying their relationships, um, destroying their families, trying to provoke um, emotions in which to be creative from. And so when we got re released um, from acting school and entered the industry, I, I was sort of at a bit of a loss. I was like, I don't really know if I'm good at this. I don't really like it made sense in this context. And I was extremely surprised when I suddenly got a bunch of work back to back and was suddenly moved to, to Sydney and placed in this very, very public context. And the first role that I got was on a major television show and I had to play a 15-year-old prostitute. And it involved nudity, it involved sex scenes, all of these things that you, you sign off on um, um, from the outset in the contract. And I had been taught at acting school that if I wanted to be an actress, this was just part of the deal. Like, this is actually... Um, this is a no-brainer and it was courageous and it was artistic and... and I should be so lucky to have that opportunity. And I felt that way. I was completely in awe and I just gave myself to this ex new city, a very big city compared to Brisbane where I was, and the industry that sort of awaited. And filmed this show, compromised myself in so many ways, and then it was released. And... In my mind, I had contributed to making this like, really beautiful piece of art. And yet, 
when it was released, the feedback that I was receiving from men on the street or from people on the internet was that I had no more worth than a porn star. And apparently porn stars didn't have very much worth at all. And, you know, my body would appear on pornographic websites. I would... um, I found that the only focus, the only value that seemed to have been placed on me was a sexualized value. And previous to that, I didn't even know if I understood my own sensuality or sexuality. And it was an incredibly confusing identity to have handed to you. Then suddenly to be like, well, if this is all I am and this is all I have to offer, who should I be offering it to and how? And it was around this time that I was exclusively seeing women almost as to to counter some of the um some of that experience and I was I was so convinced that once I did that everything would start to make sense and that landing of happiness might happen and I might actually feel really complete and just be like this is it here we are like I've I've solved it I've solved the issue of Anna (laughs) and it just wasn't the case um And I felt this almost latent anger towards Christianity. I didn't know any Christians. I didn't understand um, the ideology or theology of Christianity at all. But in my head, I was like, if this is not satisfying me, that must be because these people are the gatekeepers and they've stopped me from being able to get married and they've stopped me from feeling peace about this and they've stopped this, this and this in my life. So it has to be them that I'm feeling this way. It has to be. And... I became quite political about it. I became very angry about it. And, um, and it felt better to put the blame out there because surely it couldn't, be, it couldn't be my relationships and it couldn't be my choices. And so I would, walk, I would very openly say to people, I don't judge, I don't judge anyone except for Christians. Um, and just really failed, like that was a point of pride and that was a point of, of actual morality that actually to stand against this ideology was a really important um, part of being a good, a good person, um, which I knew somewhere inside myself that I didn't actually know how to be and I was grappling for this idea of what good could even possibly mean. And I got to a point where the show ended and I was doing other shows and I was basically homeless in Sydney. I was sleeping on people's couches and I was jumping in and out of these relationships and seeing multiple people at a time and just existing in this state of profound brokenness. I was still incredibly unwell with an eating disorder and the self-hatred that I was experiencing was invisible publicly. In fact, I was being celebrated um, and... I was receiving awards and I was being placed on a pedestal whilst feeling as though every single thing that was um, on display was a complete lie. And it was around this time that I, I met somebody, I met a friend and someone else warned me as I sort of went in to meet him. They were like, just so you know, he's a Christian. And I was like, oh, that's a shame. And um, I, I sort of met this person and I was really, really struck by him. Um, and the only way I understood connection to any human being was sexual. So I assumed that I was attracted to him. I was like, well, this, this must be my next target. Like, this, this must be the guy. Um, and, and I was sort of conflicted by this idea that, well, he's, you know, he's, he says he's a Christian. But even though I was spending sort of time with this person, even in a friend context... He never brought it up. 
He didn't talk about it. I tried to provoke it. I'd sort of like leave these little, I'd just like try and bring up like Nero burning Christians in the Roman Empire. And he'd be like, okay. Uh, just he's like, I was trying to find a way to um, trigger him and it just didn't work. And um, our friendship continued. He lived in Melbourne and I lived in Sydney. And every now and then he'd allude to something. And I just realized I was getting this frustrated hunger where I was like, I just, I don't want to know about it, but I sort of want you to say something about this because it feels as though you're hiding it. And what are you, like, what are you sitting on? Like, what do you have? I don't get it. And he was a very whole person as far as I could tell. And eventually I propositioned him. Um, I, I, I basically expressed to him, oh, I would like to be with you. And um, I was in Melbourne at the time and he sat me down and he said, okay, um, we need to have a conversation about my faith now because my faith actually um, doesn't allow me to do that. No matter how much chemistry we have, no matter what our vibe is, um, I, I'm not going to date you because I believe something different to you. And I was like, bring it on. I, in my head, I was like, I'm going to talk to this guy. We're going to talk about faith for two hours. I'm going to teach him about chakras and he's going to believe in chakras um, and, and we'll be fine, which is sort of like a, a Buddhist Hindu um, new age philosophy that I was super into at the time. And I guess in my head, like they were equal. Like I was like, I'm a, I'm a spiritual person. You're a spiritual person. Like how deep can this stuff go? Like you just read a book. And he sat with me in a bar, an empty bar for two hours. And he just said, I expected him to talk about um, God and I was a little bit scared that he might talk about Jesus because I didn't. That was a very dirty word to me. I didn't want to hear that and I didn't understand it. But he sat with me for two hours and talked about the Holy Spirit. And I was just like, who? And it was so baffling to me. And the way he talked about the Holy Spirit, he's an artist as well, was the Holy Spirit helps me with my art. He helps me with my creativity. He talks to me. It's like an amuse or an inspiration. And I was like, but. I mean, I think the most baffling part, it was just going, but that doesn't sound crazy. Like that actually, that actually sounds what the process is like. Like that's, that's sometimes how it feels. Like that's, that's, that's interesting. And I found that I didn't say a single thing about chakras and I just listened to him for two hours. And at the end of that conversation was sort of like almost this end to our friendship in a way, because I was going back to Sydney and he was going to stay in Melbourne and, he said, you know, if you ever come back down and visit Melbourne, maybe you, maybe you might want to visit my church. And I was like, no. <laughs> but I, like on the outer, I was like, that's nice. Um, and just internally was like, there's just absolutely no way. And this is sort of the end of the road. And so I flew back to Sydney. And three days later, I was at um, an industry party in a bar in King's Cross. No, no, in Oxford Street. And... I ran into a girl there and she was a radio presenter and um, she came up to me and she's like, I see you've been hanging out with this dude. And I was like, oh, yes, he's a Christian. There's nothing happening. It's such a disappointment. And she sort of looked at me and she's like, I'm a Christian. And she sat with me in this bar while I was smoking and drinking and she just shared. Um, and she just said, look, I just, she, she asked me what I believed and she listened to me. And then she said, I just don't think what you and I believe are actually that different at the heart of it. She's like, I just, I wonder if you might have some of this a bit wrong and maybe you should visit my church because I think you would love it. 
and there was something in it. I think there was something in the way she said that you you would love it that wasn't the condescension of like you should come or you might be accepted or you'll find it okay but just this idea that like actually what how I felt about the experience mattered like it act the fact that I would respond to it meant something to her and there was something in me that just immediately said yes okay I'll come when what um and so she picked me up on the Sunday and took me to this night service of this little Anglican church in the middle of the city I've since found out that this church is like a conservative Sydney Anglican church and they don't believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) So when I went back later and told them what happened, they were like, what? Um, (laughs) So I didn't tell anybody, I didn't tell my Christian friend in Melbourne that I was going. I didn't really understand um, Christians or the power of prayer at that stage. There was like a circle of 50 people interceding um, and that he knew very well that I was going. But in my head, it was a secret. Um, And I sort of said to the people around me, like, I'm going to mock it. Like, this is just sort of an exercise in me, you know, opening my mind, but also like, I don't, I this is so stupid. I just, I just want to expose myself to, you know, a little bit of life's eccentricities. And a few people who were like, well, you know, be careful. My ex-girlfriend was like, I'll come with you. And I think that was the interesting point of difference for me is when she was like, I'll come, like whatever. I was like, no, I, no, I want to go. I want to go on my own. And I was like, oh, maybe, maybe I'm looking for something else. And I went with um, I went with this person, and I came to the church, and I crossed through the threshold and like took the little pamphlet as you do in in some of the in some services like that. And the minute I crossed through the threshold of the church, I had a vision, and it was of light, drops of light raining down from the ceiling. And I was like, this is very weird. But I'd been involved in some like pretty strange occultish stuff, and I'd been exposed to some of that before and and so it wasn't completely out of my um, framework I just didn't expect it to happen there and I sort of watched that for a little while and was like okay and then I just got this fire that came in both of my hands and um, I'd previously experienced things like that when I'd been doing Reiki which is um, uh, a new age healing technique basically Um, and but this was completely different. This was on a completely other level. It just, it was overwhelming. And the only time I'd experienced intense spirituality had been in my hands and I was just sitting there going, well, there's something here. But the difference was that it was pure. And I could pick that up straight away. I was like, whatever is in this room is a good thing. It's a good spirit. Um, And I had experienced negative spirits. I'd had experiences of taking drugs and seeing demons, even though I didn't believe in demons. And so to come into a space where all of a sudden whatever was encountering me felt safe was very, very unexpected. And so I sort of sat in this pew and they spoke on the book of James and I didn't understand... um, I didn't really understand, but what I was listening to, the book of James doesn't talk about Jesus really at all. It talks about the power of the tongue. And I think the fascinating part of God using that scripture so early was just this idea of, well, this this isn't weird or radical. This just makes sense. Like this is just straight up logic. And it frustrated me because I think what I wanted to be exposed to was bigotry. I wanted, I wanted to be right. I wanted to hear crazy town 
And instead it was just, oh, that's, that's how this world works and I know that. And at the end we took communion and because I had been raised a Catholic, I was like, oh, up I go. Um, and it's very, um, it, it entitles you a little bit when you come from that, um, from that culture. And I was overcome absolutely overcome and I didn't know why and I didn't know what I was feeling and I didn't know where to place the feelings that I was feeling and I left that service and I just thought well this is that was an excellent exercise and I'm done and a few days later I found out that I had a job and I had to move to Melbourne and the only people that I knew in Melbourne were my Christian friend a girl that I'd been seeing on and off and an atheist friend and so when I went down there, I just split my time between the three of them, sort of inviting who would basically sell me this, the life that I should be leading in Melbourne. And I was there for a job and I was, um, I was living in this hotel and I was acting and I was just in an incredibly insecure place because in my mind, I didn't deserve any of it and all of it could vanish in a second. Um, I, knew, I knew what it was like to go from, you know, being on primetime TV and earning a wage to suddenly being homeless and having nothing in the space of a couple of months. And it just felt, I felt so undeserving and I felt so uncomfortable being even in that role. And so I was in this new city and I didn't really know anybody. And it was around this time that I started being invited to my friend's small group. And at first it was just to meals. And I was so shocked because it, it was the purity of friendship. It was, I had not experienced that. The only relationships I'd had were people that were either trying to use me or people I was trying to use, whether that be in a professional context or a relational context. And to just be in a room of people that were just like, how are you? What, what did you do this week? Where did you come from? And they didn't seem to value or... Um, you know, or idolise this idea of television either. And that was part of the sensitivity at the time is that I felt so exposed. I felt like everyone has seen everything about me and I, I can't hide from it and I'm judged for it. But these people who should have been the first people to judge me were like, what? And so at first it was just meals. And that was incredibly healing because I didn't know how to eat with people. I didn't know how to eat full stop, but to just sit at a table with someone and share, break bread and share a meal and have that idea of community injected back into my life, it shocked me. And so I went to a couple of their lunches and I went to a small group and they read the Bible and they read the book of James again. And it, it just, just struck me. There's some, something about it just burned at me and I felt hungry. I just felt so hungry and I was like this is bad Anna this is really really bad you're getting brainwashed like you've been you know you're vulnerable you're you're a broken person nobody really knows that you're a broken person could this be any ideology could this be Scientology and you'd be like oh yeah cool I'll take it because I just need something right now and I was really scared of that I was like is this just the only thing that's been put in front of me and um I was like I I need I need to logically work this out because otherwise I am going to go down this road of brainwashing because these people are really nice and they're, they're really kind to me and they're really accepting me and I, I don't have anywhere else to go. And um, so I went home that night and I was like, I know that there is a Gideon Bible in the drawer of my hotel room and I'm just going to open the Gideon Bible and 
I'm going to show myself that this is bigoted. I'm going to show myself the reality of what this book is because clearly I'm just keep reading this bloody book of James. I'm just going to read the Jesus story and figure it out and then I'll get over it and it will be out of my system and I'll get on with my career and I'll get on with my life. (laughs) Yeah, eight years later. Uh, So I... um, I started at Genesis and I was like, this isn't working. (laughs) It was just, and and Genesis is so beautiful, but when you don't, it is all you get exposed to in primary school as well. This idea of like, I don't know, it just, it is, um, it's a baffling piece of poetry to come out later in life at the beginning, at least it was for me. And so I was like, okay, New Testament, here we go. And I decided to read the four gospels in order and I read them over two weeks. And um, I get really emotional at this point. Because it just, it, there, was, there wasn't even a moment of going, is this true? From the second that I read the first word on the first page, I knew that it was true. It was, it was, it was the story that I had been waiting for for so long. And the most beautiful part of it to me was that I had never heard about that Jesus before. And the way the and I don't believe Christianity had wrongly represented him. I believe the world had wrongly represented Christianity to me to present a Jesus that was exclusive and cruel and angry. And I read about this Jesus and I just went this is my friend. This is my ally. And all I read was a man who just sat there and said, "Anna, you were always mine." And I'm not on the side of the hypocrites. And I'm not on the side of the people that judge you. And I'm not on the side of this religious virgin of Christianity that wants to hurt you and wants to break you. Like, this is is your story. You know, I'm on your side. And it's all I felt, even in the the complexity of my brokenness, all I felt was an ally and somebody that, while everybody else was pointing fingers, he stood there and he protected me and he... And he spoke for me. And I was, I was completely dumbfounded by it. And I would hold this book. I would take this book with me to work. To, to the, I'd take it on set. This Gideon, massive Gideon Bible with this highlighter in it. And I'd, I'd just hold it to my chest because it was, it was like food and water to somebody who had never eaten and never drunk. Like it was just so satisfying and the, the point that really stands out for me was this one moment in the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus actually says to the people that he's speaking to, I believe it's on the, um, the Sermon on the Mount, you know, you are the light of the world. And now I, you know, I have context now and I understand that he's speaking to the church. and he's be- But at the time, all it was was like this ancient gentle man saying it to a really broken girl who thought she was worth nothing like who really thought that she was the scum of the earth you were the light of the world he doesn't actually discriminate he doesn't actually say who he's speaking to or why and that sentence transformed me that actually invited me to be that I just thought are you serious like me I could be that you would allow me to be that And it was so healing to me that the very next day I got up 
And I looked in the mirror and I looked at my body and I realized that I had been completely delivered of my eating disorder. Comple 10 years, 10 years of, of hell, guys. And I just went, I'm so sorry. And I apologized to my body and I just held it. And that very same morning, I had a revelation that I didn't have to give my body away anymore. That I, and, and the conviction was to stop having sex, but the conviction wasn't, this is bad and you should stop. He just said to me, you don't have to do that. You don't, that is not the transaction that buys you love. You don't have to do that to be loved. It's yours. You can, you can close up shop. You, it, you belong to yourself and you belong to me. And that, that was an invitation. I was like, thank you. I, was like, I am done. It was... And because that's really what the heart of it was. It wasn't like, mm-hmm, thrill-seeking. It was like, I really thought that that's what, that was the price I had to pay for somebody to like me. And it's wrong. And he, he gave me back to myself. And in that, he didn't clarify. He didn't say, well, you know, sometimes heterosexuality is fine in a marital covenant, but homosexuality and this... Like, he didn't... He just said, just all of it. Just get rid of all of it, okay? Just be, be in yourself. Like... This is sacred and this is special and I'm telling you that it is. And I just, I just needed to receive that so much. And over this sort of two-week period of time, I tried the first few tastes of praying. And it's such, an, it was so it's such a strange feeling to live your whole life thinking it's just you alone in your head and then suddenly realise that there's been someone who's seen everything you've done and everything you've thought that entire time. It's extremely exposing for those that have grown up in the church, like, what? What? And so it's quite humbling to come before him and be like, if you're there, <laughs> hello, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, and yet I felt, I felt the trend... Transaction is the wrong word, but the dialogue immediately. The minute I started to pray, I felt him swoop in. That feeling of like, I'm here, I'm listening to you. And not only do I listen, I talk back. And I was like, oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> and it's so confronting. It's, but so healing. So beautiful. That friendship. It's the Anamkara. It's the soul friend. It's the heart friendship. It's that Irish idea of like this is this is the person my soul has been longing for my entire life this is the only person that understands the only person who's actually willing to listen to some of this stuff is him and so we'd have these little conversations and I would try it would just be tiny things at the start like I'd ask for help with something I was writing and he'd just give it to me like just the grace the beginning grace of that relationship of could you heal this healing could you could you talk to this oh done I need to get a text message from that dude because I don't know if he likes me. Text messages, little things. And that's not always how the relationship works. But at the beginning, the grace he showed in helping me trust him and learning how to have that was profound. So I was in this bubble and it was, I was completely isolated in this. I didn't have anybody preaching to me about it. I didn't have anybody teaching me the boundaries and after a few weeks I sat down with some of these new Christian friends I had and sort of slowly began to explain like something's really been going on inside of me and around me and I challenged them and I not that they'd done anything wrong but I just said why haven't I heard about this before like if I was really dying 
And I was, like if I was perishing and I was going to hell, what, how long, how, how is it taking me so long to get free? Why didn't anybody tell me? Because this is all I've ever needed. And they were like, it's complicated, you know, it's, it's hard. And in my head I was like, it doesn't seem that complicated to me. And it was the simplicity too of just like the very nature of believing is that you have to tell, is that you're compelled to tell. Like, unfortunately, Jesus doesn't exist in a vacuum. It only works when it's out. It only works when you're sharing it. Um, and it, it's, it's the catch of faith, unfortunately. And not, for, uh, not unfortunately, but for, for those that have fear, it's, the, it's that sudden moment of like, I can't just take the free gift for me and live in my bubble and be really free and really healed and really happy because the way that it changes you compels you to want other people to be free. So I went nuts. I um, <laughs> I just like, I went to set and I just, I'd put scriptures all over the set of this show. <laughs> and I just started praying for them. I started prophesying over them in the middle of seats. <laughs> Which in court, like, it's awesome. But at the same time, it like, in retrospect, you're like, that is very funny. Like, it, it was just, and it was, the, it was the wild freedom of suddenly being in love. But I did jump a bit. So amidst all of that, I, um, I'd sort of come to this particular place where I was like, I think I, I think I, like, I couldn't really call myself a Christian, but I was like, I just, I, like, I, I am his and he is mine. Like it was just that. It's just it was just the depth of relationship. And um I visited I'd been visiting once or twice this church that my friends went to. And it was a Pentecostal church here in Melbourne, um, a really beautiful church that have really strong discipleship. And um they trained prophets and they trained people in the prophetic. And they had a day where they had some people that they were training blindfolded in front of the church and um I was called up um, to be put in front of a girl that was completely blindfolded for her to prophesy over me. And I'd never experienced anything like this before. Um, and she laid hands on me. And she just, of course, told me my whole circumstance in life. She could see that I was an artist. She could see what I was involved in. She said, she's like, you're, you're, you're not quite. <laughs> she's like, I don't, know if I don't know if you're fully even a believer yet. She's like, I just see you walking down this garden path and you get to this sort of door in a wall to a secret garden and you're standing there and you don't really know if you want to go in and you're hesitating and you're at this sort of door to the unknown. She's like, go through that door. Just walk through that door and your life will never, ever be the same again. And in that sort of encounter, in that moment, I felt this complete release to be like, okay, okay, I will. Um... And I caught the tram home that day and I heard the voice of God for the first time. Um, and it was still and it was small and it was very directional and it was so specific. But it was actually the first time that I had heard, heard his voice. Heard, it wasn't audible, but just that beautiful separation where you know it's not your imagination. You know it's not you. It's, this, it's somebody else that has graciously and gently decided to speak with you. And sort of from that, course of events I um I started to open up a little bit more and a few of the friends that I had around me were starting to warn me they were like you know Anna there 
when somebody does give their life to Jesus, there's sometimes a spiritual backlash. Um, and so the demonic might try and have a go at you and discourage you. And I was like, what? Um, what? And I think it was a bit much at the time. I was like, I can, okay, I've just taken on like an entire kingdom of heaven. I don't, I don't know if I have, no, I don't know if I can grasp the demonic right now. Um, and I dismissed it a little bit and I would keep calling it like negative energy or some of the new age stuff and the wording I knew and they'd be like demons and I'm like negative energy demons um, and so I came home one night and to my my little sort of hotel room and I walked in and it was there was something in the room and it was extremely oppressive it really scared me and I was just I was really, really overwhelmed by it. And all I could remember is that my friends had said, okay, you know, sure, you don't believe in it, but if it ever happens, just say the name of Jesus and it has to leave. And I, um, I was like, oh. And so I ran to my bed and I got in bed. I was like physically shaking. It was, it was so horrible. And I just sort of lay in bed and just said the name of Jesus like three times, like Jesus, 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 Jesus. And as I said it, I got this very, very clear vision of this this sort of monstrous creature trying to launch itself at my head and hitting a pane of glass, and it couldn't get in. And Jesus just began, the Holy Spirit just began to speak to me, and he just said, um, you know, this is going to keep happening quite a bit, and what I need you to do is to get baptized. And I was like, what? Okay. Um, and then he... <laughs> It was it was the most extraordinary conversation. He's like, yep, you're going to call the church tomorrow and you're going to get baptized and that will help. Um, and I don't know, I didn't know the theology of that. I didn't understand how that fit. And I was like, okay, I will. Um, and then he said to me, and so I'd been going to church and this is, <laughs> this is a really wonderful, I love this part of the story probably the most. So I'd been going to church and they'd have like a moment of like you lay hands on each other for healing. And I didn't understand the difference so much between the occult and Christian at, at that stage because I didn't understand the demonic. And so what I'd try, I'd try and do Reiki on people when they were praying for healing. <laughs> and my friends would be like, no, 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 please don't. And I was like, no, I've got this. Like, I do this, guys. And so, <laughs> so bad. I've like, I feel this grace. But I was like, oh, my gosh. And so God was like, so, Anna, <laughs> about the healing... <laughs> And so in, in, in this like moment, this encounter where these, this demonic thing had just sort of been evicted, he was like, what I need you to do is I need you to give back what you took on when you got, um, when you got sort of, so when you do Reiki, you actually get like adjusted to a frequency, like they basically put a spell on you. Um, that means that you can do that practice at a particular spiritual it's it's like very intense and he's like what you took on when you had that like a tuning done to you I need you to give that back to me and if you do give that back to me I'll give you my power to heal except it won't be it won't be you it will be me and I was like well it seems like a good deal <laughs> like, like he's like <laughs> And I was like, it was sort of this, just the, the beautiful simplicity in how he explained it. He didn't condemn me. He didn't tell me that I was wrong or that I was broken or that I was hurting people. He just said, if you just, if you give that back, I can give you mine. I can give you my spirit. And so I said, okay, you can have it. And I physically felt this thing lift out of my body and leave me. 
And then I just felt this extraordinary peace, like just the, this amazing fullness of, of just understanding like it's not about me. I don't need power. I don't need position. I don't need any of those things. It's all his. And I could just be this vessel. I could just be his hands and feet. And it gave me this extraordinary passion and excitement for healing because it, I knew he could do it. Where I, whereas I could, I, my, I was always so limited. So the next day I called the church and I said, well, God told me to get baptized. And they were a little bit surprised and they sat down in a meeting with me and and the pastor at the time was like well have you given your life to Jesus have you said the sinner's prayer and I was like honey we are past that like we are this this isn't necessary but she, she made me do it anyway and it was beautiful and it was like but it was just it was quite funny and she was like well the strange thing is like we only do um baptisms every like couple of months but we have one on Sunday so come and um so a night the night before the night before the baptism um I was at home and I was on my balcony and I was having a cigarette um I was still smoking at that time and um I was just watching the sunset and I just heard God talk to me and he said put out the cigarette (laughs) and I was like you're very involved (laughs) like this is but I did and he's like get on your knees um and, and I did. And he said, close your eyes. And I did. And I started having a very intense encounter. And uh, the, the light around me was spinning. Like it's almost like a gravitron. Um, one of those experiences that you can have in prayer. And he said, I just open your mouth and speak. And I'll give you the words to speak. And I started to pray in tongues. And I had some, I had heard it happen to people. It made me very uncomfortable. Like I'd heard it in church and I'd heard the story of somebody else that had, it had happened to in isolation that hadn't needed to um, be prayed over for them to receive it as a gift. But I didn't understand it at all. I didn't want it. I wasn't seeking it in any way. And I just started to speak in tongues and I, it began and then I freaked out and I said no 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 <laughs> what um and I, I sort of picked myself up and I went out to a party that night um and I came home and I was in the shower later and I just this time it happened again and um but this time it was like an engine had kicked off and all of a sudden it was like the spirit man inside of me had a language, had things it could say, had a way of communicating with the Lord, of praying, of engaging that I I could never find the words for. And it was one of the most liberating and beautiful experiences. Um, and it just sort of kicked off in this extraordinary, extraordinary experience. And so the next morning I, I went to the church and I got in the water and I got baptised. And it was, even though that wasn't the most profound spiritual experiential moment, it was a line in the sand and I could see that where it was the, it's this entire life that I had lived in, this version of existing that I'd had, had sunk to the bottom and was, was gone. And, in, and graciously and gently and lovingly gone. Not, you know, look at this disgusting, this disgusting corpse at the bottom of the pool. It was like, she didn't understand and she didn't know. And the person that's coming out of the water knows now and knows the living God and is in relationship with the living God and that changes everything. And so I came out of that... Um, 
and sort of received the prayer that they gave me. And over the next few months, went through that process of sanctification, discipleship, of learning what the cross meant. And that that had not really sunk in for me. That was something that came over a long period of time. For me, the first thing I had needed to grasp was we're in relationship. He loves me. He's present. He's with me. And this idea that Jesus had died for my sins had seemed peripheral and it didn't make sense. And I feel led to share this part of the story, but I won't go into extraordinary detail in it. Um, Over the course of the next year or two, I... I felt like I did go through the process of learning what the cross meant and I feel as though that 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 is part of God's journey in grace that at the start I didn't know at the beginning for me it was so black and white it was like Jesus is good and Jesus heals and that that that's as simple as it gets and as complex as it gets and so I would come across a lot of and because a lot of my experience he was so gracious and beautiful with me I got healed of a lot I got delivered of a lot and um and my faith, he met my faith in these really extraordinary situations. But I'd meet all of these people, um, particularly in the LGBT community, that had not had that same experience, that had not been, you know, radically convicted of celibacy um, or healed. And I, I was sort of living in this state of going, well, God did that for me. He must do that for everyone. And it was more complex than that. I, I knew that he hadn't delivered me of my same-sex attraction but for God he'd actually he did he did actually reveal to me motives behind it he revealed to me my heart he revealed to me how to navigate it what he was calling me to which allowed for it not to be rooted in hate or rejection or anger at that and more of a grace of just okay cool like this isn't what I'm called to and sometimes I'll feel these feelings but the reason I'm not acting on them is out of honour to him and also out of deep relationship with him and because of what I'm called to over here. And there was so much peace there for me in that, like so much resolution. I felt so satisfied in him. But I suppose I, yeah, I came across a lot of people that hadn't experienced the black and white, I suppose, of God. And I was challenged by the grey and I was really challenged by the questions. And a couple of years into my walk a whole thing got exposed in the church I was in. You know, this beautiful, incredible church that had discipled me so well. You know, I'd started dating the person that had led me to the Lord and I was like, we're going to get married and it's going to be amazing and this, this, this and this. And then this entire lie got exposed and this whole betrayal. And then from that, a series of, of incidents that I guess you could call church abuse. And for a new Christian, it didn't make sense. It was like, but this is Jesus. Like, this is the Jesus that rescued me from toxicity. This is the Jesus that rescued me from abuse. Like, abuse doesn't happen in the church. How? Like, how do we reconcile these two worlds? And it rattled me. And I... My reaction was to cling further to fundamentalism, to be honest, and to go, no, 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 no. It's black and it's white. And I clung to the community I clung clung to the toxicity because I was like this is the only safe place I know like I don't know if the body of Christ is the same everywhere I go like this is the community that's helped me grow this and in God's grace he picked me up (laughs) and he took me to America and displaced me from 
all of the, I guess, foundational stuff that I thought was related to, to that specific community and that specific church. And what he showed me was that the Spirit of God, which is pure and which is good and which is loving and which is not abusive or toxic or lying, is the same everywhere. That actually the Spirit of God remains even when we as human beings fail or even when church, which is human and which can be broken and God still loves it, even when that fails, um, the experience I had in the US and from the years that went on from that was so extraordinarily restorative. And he just took my heart on this adventure and this healing journey, I have to say, and release of just learning how to forgive and learning about suffering and just learning that it's, it was okay, that just because my grief didn't leave immediately or I couldn't forgive immediately or, you know, these people that I wanted to see healed didn't get healed immediately didn't mean that he was not in a work of healing with them, that he still didn't, that he wasn't present in it. It didn't, it didn't indicate that someone had sinned or that someone didn't have enough faith, that there was a process and that – and he – consistently showed me this journey equally of the version of healing where he removes pain immediately and he did it to me multiple times like that that healing exists but then the version of healing too where he endured it with me and walked with me and actually formed me through it and allowed me to experience the passion allowed me to actually understand what it means what it meant for Christ to endure for us not as a punishment and not as a as a sort of cruel discipline but as a gift actually to be in that place of pain um so you know seven or eight years later I look at my life and I've had the incredible privilege of being married to a beautiful man a beautiful man of God of having a child, of being part of community, of actually feeling called, actually feeling like I've been given an identity that isn't rooted in anything else but who he is. And I think even most profoundly, this unwavering sense of worth and this unwavering sense of being sacred, being the temple of God, being called holy and being called light and therefore stepping into that and being holy and being light and receiving him. And um, I can genuinely tell you that out of all the people that you know, I was the last person, the last person that would have become a Christian. Like I really, really would have resisted any attempt and I just, I want to testify the miracle to that because nobody is out of his reach. Nobody is out of the reach of transformation and... I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm walking dead, you know, like I'm, I'm a completely resurrected human being. So thanks. listening and praise God I I really just want to invite um, God I'm just gonna pray